Once again, do you mind if I record this interview? No, not at all. Okay, cool. Yo, 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 here we are again back at ya. Did you miss us? At least we weren't gone for two years again. I'm August, host of the Queer Core podcast. Our last episode featured Martha Shelley, the mother of gay liberation. This week, we are back with another New York City gay liberation fronter. Can you say, come out? Perry Brass edited the Gay Liberation Front's magazine, Come Out, and went on to co-found the first gay health network on the East Coast, which has since become Colin Lord. Colin Lord provides LGBTQ health services for 18,000 people annually in the greater New York area. Also, Perry is a really good friend of mine. We get in trouble on a downtown NYC level, which means warm beers and dirty gay bars. He is a two-beer and more often a no-beer queer. He is also very passionate about the time he spent in the Gay Liberation Front, or GLF. The following audio is from a panel I moderated that featured Perry and two other NYC GLFers, Flavia Rando and Michaela Griffo. First, I want to say it's... I love talking about GLF. Uh, I was in GLF for almost three years. Uh, one of the lies about GLF is that it was only, it, it, it only existed for six months. But I was in it for, for three years and there were the three most formative years of my life. I learned more in the Gay Liberation Front than I did at NYU getting a degree from NYU. I, I described this being like having a graduate course in politics in living, in ethics, in so much. The Gay Liberation Front stood for complete freedom. Gay rights are about assimilation and acceptance. Liberation is about complete freedom. Assimilation, more often than not, is our enemy. The GLF was an activist group founded in the aftermath of the June 28, 1969 Stonewall Rebellion. Shortly after the group's formation, Gay Liberation Front sprouted up all over the world. No lie, all over the world. The United Kingdom, Australia, New Zealand, Denmark, the list goes on. This was really the first time that LGBTQ people fought back. Really, really, really fought back. Hit me with a billy club and I'll hit you back even harder. Blood dripping down faces, drip, drip, drip. You got a lot of nerve. What do I deserve to be feeling? So, what shapes a gay activist? What shaped Perry? I can only remember the day that you got away. I grew up in the South, in the 50s and 60s. And uh, I'd like to describe my, my growing up as I belong to four uh, self excluding groups. I grew up Southern. Jewish, gay, and poor. I mean, you can't get four groups that hate each other more than those four groups, I think. Um, I um, realized I was gay by the time I was about 12, and I had to hide it, and I went through just hell with it, uh, of being oppressed and bullied. Uh, when I was 11, my father died of cancer, uh, throwing my family, my, my sister and mother, into abject poverty. Uh, uh, 
the worst aspect of my growing up, I guess, was at the age of 15, like a lot of other uh, gay teens, I tried to kill myself. Uh, it was just uh, a boiling point in my life of being persecuted at school and having help with my mother at home. And uh, emerging from that suicide attempt, I came up with a couple of epiphanal moments in my, this part of my life. One of them was I realized what I was, but I had not come out. And I decided that I would be the person that I was meant to be no matter what. Go from suicide to that. The other thing was that if anyone stood in the way of me being this person that I needed to be, they were just overwhelmed. When 45% of LGBTQ people seriously consider committing suicide, and with even higher numbers for some parts of the community, it is important to take each struggle as an opportunity to grow and learn. To change the world, we have to change ourselves first. As Keith St. Clair said in episode eight of the Queer Core podcast, when you decide to share your pain, you go one plus one is two, two plus two is four, four plus four is eight, and so on. You become twice as strong for taking into account that you survived it. It's simple math. Thank you, Keith. The next year was my senior year in high school because I graduated at the age of 16 and I became one of the most popular kids in my high school. I developed this total fuck you attitude and became extremely popular. It was wonderful. Uh, I'm not quite sure how I can go from that to joining the Liberation Front, uh, but I, I will say this. Uh, I, I came out very, very much. By the time I was 17, I was openly gay. But what I really wanted was to have a family. But our boy Perry Brass was soon radicalized, and that idea went out the window. Maybe you can call him dad at the local leather bar. Everyone has a Stonewall story, and it is a heavy-hitting topic for these OGLs, original gay liberationists. Why? There are so many myths around the legacy of the Stonewall Rebellion. Who threw the first brick? Where did the bricks come from? If everyone who said they were at Stonewall was actually at Stonewall, the Greenwich Village neighborhood would have completely burned down. The concrete would not have been able to support all of the people standing on it. Perry's not one of those people though. He's honest. I think I'm one of the very few people of my generation who will admit I was not at Stonewall. <laughs> I was around the corner at Julius. <laughs> uh, which some of you may not know, is another bar in the West Village. Uh, Julius is, uh, is maybe one of the oldest bars, in a, uh, certainly in New York City. And uh, by the time of Stonewall, it had actually become an openly gay bar. When I first came to New York, it was uh, a sporting bar. And uh, there was a certain amount of very furtive kind of gay activity in the front, if not in the back. And um, it very quickly, uh, within the space of about one year, around 1967 or 68, it suddenly became gay and also very, very mafia controlled. 
was in Julius's uh, the, the first the actual night of Stonewall, and uh, some people came in, some guys came in, and this is what they said. They said, the girls are rioting at Stonewall. So I thought, well, what else is new? What else would you do at Stonewall? I mean, I used to go there myself uh, to dance, and uh, there were a, a lot of, of what we used to call street queens at Stonewall, and they could become very rambunctious. Uh, I didn't realize that they were really rioting, that things were really going on there. And uh, so the next day, I uh, was back at Julius's, and I decided I'll go out and see what's going on. So I went out the second day and uh, saw what was going on, and uh, it was just amazing. Imagine you're gay in the 60s in New York. You're used to having to be secretive or thinking you don't have power. And then the people around you rise up and revolt. Remember that night? Best friend's apartment Couldn't tell if I was high or high on you Oh uh, That whole area around uh, Stonewall Become like this this theater of activism and rebellion Certainly of, of a historical nature The cops had put up what are called riot lights uh, There was huge uh, lighting So it was very, very theatrical There was glass in the streets uh, there were uh, some cars with windshields smashed, uh, and there were probably about four or five hundred people out there in front of the stone wall, and you just knew that something amazing had happened. And then uh, the rest of the summer, things were really going on, and you could feel that the, the community in the West Village was changing really fast. And I would say that what Stonewall did was it gave a lot of people permission to be what they needed to be, do what they needed to do. There are all these you know, ideas about you know, what, who did what at Stonewall, et cetera, et cetera. But the reality was we were really ready for it to happen. The funny thing is that Perry and I still frequently go to Julius's, where he was during the Stonewall Rebellion. He drinks his beer with ice. Apparently it's a Southern thing. The GLF was truly radical. Let's analyze the word radical. It means different from the usual or traditional, extreme. Its origins relate to the Latin word for root. Roots are the source of something. To see them, you must pull them up out of the ground. Here's Perry straight from the horse's mouth with more thoughts on this. I, I just wanted to say something about that term radical. GLF was a radical organization. We wanted a total change in the American government. Most of us were either socialists or out communists. Uh, I had started out, I was actually a, uh, an exception. I had no radical background. I was almost apolitical before I joined GLF. Uh, but uh, the idea of radicalism in GLF took a different kind of turn. And that was, to us, radicalism meant going to the very root of the situation, which is where the word radical comes from. It's where the word ra radius comes from, because it goes from the center out. The word radish is a root. What we wanted to look at was, what were the roots of our oppression? And what could we do to change this? Uh, and uh, this idea of the looking at the root of our oppression, the root situation became part of the GLF mindset. 
mindset. The first Pride March on a massive scale, not the one that Martha Shelley organized, which we discussed in the last episode, was the Christopher Street Liberation Day March. It took place on Saturday, June 28, 1970. If you ask me, we need to reclaim that name. Pride is fine in small doses, but the movement has a lot of work to do. LGBTQ people can be prideful when they can order a birthday cake in any state and homosexuals aren't murdered in Afghanistan. Bringing it back, on November 2nd, 1969, Craig Rodwell, his partner Fred Sargent, Ellen Broidy, and Linda Rhodes proposed the idea for the first Pride March to be held in New York City. They did this through a resolution at the Eastern Regional Conference of Homophile Organizations meeting in Philadelphia. From there, they planned, planned, and planned. Hello, we are the Gay Liberation Front, the radical activist takedown group, and we need a permit. Do you really think that would work? This audio is from a webinar I hosted with heavy hitters about the first Pride March in L.A. and NYC. I was at the meeting where we, the GLF, discussed uh, having the march. And uh, I'm pretty sure that Craig Rodwell came and spoke to Bob Kohler. And what was interesting about that meeting was that several women in GLF were very much against the march. And I, I think now... Ellen may be able to correct me, but I think Linda Rhodes was one of them and Ellen Shumsky was another. But their objection was that very quickly the bars would take over the march and have floats and go-go boys. And we, uh, we that is uh, Bob Cole and other uh, GLF men, uh, decided that this would never happen because we would control the march. It, I mean, it did happen that we did end up with bars and go-go boys. The next audio you're about to hear is from a webinar Perry asked me to organize in October of 2022. It features members of the newly formed Gay Liberation Front Foundation. Their nonprofit will be announced publicly soon, so here is your warning. The foundation will serve as an educational nonprofit to preserve the legacies of the NYC Gay Liberation Front. It has a board comprised of members from the NYC GLF. The webinar was titled Come Out Forgotten LGBTQ Actions 1970. Forgotten. So much of history is being whitewashed, sanitized, and changed due to various factors such as vested interest. And you know my buzzword, assimilation. Stories about forgotten mass LGBTQ actions remind us of these activists' breadth and scope. There were hundreds and sometimes thousands of people there, and so many of us have no idea what happened. More often than not, I am in that camp. Folks, we are talking about a worldwide mass anti-imperialist movement. But enough buildup, here's Perry. During my three years in the Gay Liberation Front, I was involved in many actions. Actions was our term for any kind of confrontation with the dominant homophobic, racist, and or sexist power. It could be picketing the village voice because the voice refused to run the word gay in a GLF ad, an action against a gay bar that refused to admit trans people, a protest against the Catholic church or a homophobic college, or 
a total police confrontation which happened on a hot August night in 1970 in the West Village when after marching in a picket line into Times Square against police harassment of gay men in bars there, GLF men and women were forced to hurry on foot downtown. There on 8th Street near Bleecker, swarms of cops with nightsticks were cracking skulls of several GLF brothers, some of whom were black. Big riot lights were set up and a complete theater of confrontation happened. Several GLF brothers fought back to protect each other. One, Bob Bland, scissors kicked a cop in the head who was grabbing one of us, then Bob disappeared into a moving crowd of gay men. Our blood was on the street and several of my GLF brothers smeared it on their faces and then marched down Christopher Street with it on them. The Gay Liberation Front wasn't afraid to reach out beyond their immediate circle. NYC is a big place, but the United States is even bigger. Does anyone have a car? No, let's take the bus. During the Vietnam War, America found itself in a divisive and turbulent era. The country was grappling with not only the complexities of a foreign conflict, but also with the internal struggles regarding its involvement. Anti-war activists emerged as a passionate and vocal force, passionately and sometimes aggressively opposing the war's toll on human lives and the ethical implications of military intervention. Groups similar in posture to the GLF were fueled by a sense of moral duty and fury. I was in Washington, D.C. for the famous May Day demonstrations. 150,000 demonstrators descended on D.C. for a weekend to shut down the capital of the U.S., an idea conceived by Rennie Davis in the Vietnam Moratorium Committee. The Vietnam War was going full blast, slaughtering thousands of Vietnamese and hundreds of GIs on a daily basis. A tent city was set up in West Potomac Park, with us divided into regions from every state, as well as a feminist region, a lesbian region, and a gay region. This was the first complete gathering of the gay male tribe, 150 gay men from GLFs all over the country who were coordinating ourselves with the moratorium committee. Next morning, we were routed out of our tents at 4 a.m. The Capitol cops and the National Guard were going to arrest us. Many of us moved three times during the day, during the, uh, before the May Day uh, shutdown, finding a shelter in churches and local homes. It was costing the U.S. government a million dollars a day, I'm sorry, a million dollars a minute to stay in Vietnam. If we could shut down Washington for a full day, imagine how much the government would lose and how many fewer bombs would be dropped on Vietnam. About a dozen gay men and I were posted at a major commuter bridge along with hundreds of protesters. We stopped rush hour traffic for about an hour and then the cops stormed in. Tear gas, body shields, arrest buses were waiting. Queer men were used to resisting cops. We could outrun them, then disappear into the first crowd we found. I did this several times during the day, joining other protesters when I could. The feeling was tense and pessimistic. An army of cops and National Guardsmen swooped down on us. I heard several times from straight protesters, that faggot Rennie Davis is going to get us killed, referring to many gay rumors about Rennie Davis. In the Gay Liberation Front, there were numerous factions. For example, there was the Red Butterfly Arm, which was the Marxist cell. Many of the Gay Liberation Front's members were dirt poor. Communism comes across differently to those who have nothing. 
While the numerous factions were not in conflict with each other, it did add a sense of disconnect. Perry was on the self-referred dirt poor side. Being a gay liberationist and a radical publisher doesn't pay the bills. With no money for lawyers, Perry decided it was time to go home. I managed to find my way to the buses chartered back to New York. A couple of other GLF brothers were on the bus. Mostly we slept. We'd been up before dawn with constant running, evading the cops and almost nothing to eat. Tom Finley, one of my closest GLF brothers, was arrested. The DC cops made sure that an arrest would cost him hundreds of dollars, the equivalent of close to $10,000 now, from fines and numerous court appearances in DC. I got back to New York happy that GLF had taken part in what became known as Gay May Day 1971. The Gay Liberation Front was now nationally known. My brothers from all over the country had proven valor against the immense force of the US government imposing the war on us. I felt so happy. Once again, I was part of my own family and tribe. I will say this, uh, this brief description of those two, those two major actions, which are now quite forgotten, barely describes the, the intensity of feeling we had for what we were doing and also for each other at that time. Talk about nerve. There were somewhere between 25,000 and 35,000 people at this action and nearly 13,000 arrests. Reclaim pride, take notes. So Perry, the question now becomes, what gave you the audacity? Rage. It was just basically this, this idea that we had been the, the level of, of homophobic oppression that all of us went through as kids and teenagers and then as young adults was so horrible. And it was so tamped down that when GLF happened, as uh, Mark Siegel said, that uh, it was uh, Stonewall was the, Stonewall was the match, but GLF was the fire. Yes, I was still, I mean, we were in this combustible situation and the, the combustion spread so fast to so many of us who were our brothers and sisters because they had all experienced the same level of horrifying oppression. One time in a conversation with Perry, he said his biggest question when he was in the GLF was why wasn't every damn queer person in the GLF? It was only later that he realized that it had to be because they were scared. The thing that the movement has got to do is it's got to leave its cooperativity, its protectionism, its conformity, and get back to where we were. And uh, a lot of that is going to have to come from younger people than we are, uh, certainly uh, people in their 20s and 30s and teens, maybe, uh, to, uh, and also, uh, we have this idea that we're going to do all this online, and I beg to differ with that. This has got to be a movement in the streets and in people's neighborhoods, and it's got to be visible in lifetime. As far as a mass anti-imperialist takedown, I love what L.A. GLFer Don Hefner said in a 2023 article called LGBTQ Genocide is Happening Now in Afghanistan. He said that we must model our grassroots organizing 
on the success of the gay liberation fronts and ACT UP, a centralized national coordination and clearinghouse, but decentralized activist groups with local decision-making. That lifetime commitment Perry referenced is what has tied him to activism since he started with the NYC GLF. He told me that joining the GLF changed the course of his life. He liberated mine and unknowingly has liberated countless others. He's come a long way from being a suicidal teen in Georgia. I have the reflection that I have had always with my GLF sisters and brothers, which is that uh, we do, what we went through together was so formative to our lives that uh, we will we'll never forget it. It's, I mean, it just pierces our hearts. And that's what we want to, that's the message we want to, to bring out to the world. I mean, uh, the, liberating ourselves and liberating the world was what it was all about. And it still pierces our hearts. Now, faithful listeners, the question becomes, do you want him to change your life even more? Well, you can buy his books and support the author himself. The site is, are you ready for it? Write it down, perrybrass.com. My favorite of his books is called A Real Life. It's a memoir on a Mark Twain with drag queens level about underage runaway Perry Brass in the streets of San Francisco. But let's end with a poem that Perry wrote in 1973. It's called I Have Visions of Madness, and it was originally published in The Male Muse, a gay anthology which might have been the first radical on a gay liberation front level poetry anthology. The poignant hour of the day has come when evening tells its own story, when you go out of your house to find your true love in the banana forests, in the rain gardens of Central Park, in the steaming beaches of baths and bars, where the heat of desire has frozen your lust, has bent your heart into a thousand masturbatory images that cannot be fulfilled, and only some urgent insanity, some call to reach and touch and reach back, will find me waiting in the lobby of your heart, all the time hoping that you will come full of rage and crazy kindness. Thank you, Perry, and thank you to our listeners. The Queer Core Podcast is hosted by me, August Bernadiku, and features the archival recordings that I have collected since I was 13 years old. All of our tech magic is courtesy of David Newtown, our producer. Thanks to Silka Berlin and the Addictions for the punk rock intro song called Silicon Valley. And thank you to Nicholas McCoppin for his super cool track, Stuck, Lower East Side Boy, I Remember That Night in Perfect Pictures. And a final thank you to Blue Dot Sessions for the additional music. Another call out to the world. The LGBTQ History Project has an archive that spans 3,000 recordings. But we need help. There is so much to do in such little time. We are a low-funded, grassroots organization that is devoted to preserving the lives and legacies of LGBTQ activists from the first wave of gay liberation. 
If you ever have a question, we're here for you. If you ever have a story to tell, write to us. If you have an extra few dollars, even a few dollars helps, please consider donating at lgbtqhp.org slash donate. You're never going to hear us say there's not enough time because there's the same amount of time there's always been and we are devoted to the cause. We are continuing our Gay Liberation Front streak with our next episode, which features Michaela Griffo. She is a mover from the golden age of gay liberation when things actually got done. Until next time, peace out. Peace out.